Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everybody from Backpage, my name is Neil White, and this is the big interview with Graham Hunter at the World Cup. And we're recording immediately after maybe the first true heavyweight clash of this World Cup: France versus England. All due respect to the Netherlands versus Argentina, but that was a match I thought that was definitely puncher versus counter puncher, as have all the quarterfinals been, Graham. Until this one, this was two guys standing toe to toe going for it. This maybe not quite Hagler Hearns, but getting there. I think it's very rare um, that we've done this together to to broadcast to people to listen to a tournament from us or listen to the big interview where I've had to say, look, I'm outright sorry for England, but I am in this instance because your description's perfect. There wasn't a lot wrong with France's display. There was absolutely nothing wrong with the way in which they scored and created their two goals, nor how competitive they are when either they're on top or when they're trailing. But I thought England, across the length of this quarterfinal, not only played better, but but coped with adversity really, really well in a way that I admire. We'll come on to this, and maybe you don't want to go mad about it, but I've got absolutely no doubt that Wilton Sampaio the Brazilian who refed this made... The game was littered with really important errors by him. One of which, which we'll come on to, which involves the, the, the penalty that England missed, whereby it, it should honestly mean he doesn't referee at international level again, personally speaking. But when you show the, the, the chops to, to roll with the blows, to come back, to understand something tactically at half-time to occupy different spaces and therefore outplay France up until the point they go 2-1 ahead, then my respect for the England group, it'll take me time to, to, to be sure that I mean Southgate here, but my respect for the England group tonight went up. Graeme, you and I were messaging each other backwards and forwards um, and definitely sort of midway through the, the second half, you know, you'd identified the fact that 
the English midfield had started to associate better, uh, and that had that had turned the tide. And um, I, I guess what you're kind of hinting at there is something changed at halftime, and who was doing the talking in that dressing room at halftime? In the first half, what was patently obvious to me was that France had a structure whereby they thought that they could pin both of um, England's fullbacks, both of whom are dangerous in either pace and power or distribution, if we're talking about um, Walker and Shaw. So when Dembele and Mbappe were wide and Giroud was playing at nine and Griezmann was, although floating, he, he, he wanted to play like a 10, that often left um, France with a 4-2-4 formation. Not all the time, not by any means, but when they were either transitioning forward or fully in attack, and admittedly, although we almost never see Kunde coming forward, Hernandez was moving in, so that 4-2-4 fluctuated. But often, there were periods of the game where England didn't spot, and I mean by this, the coaching duo of uh, Southgate and Holland, that there were two men in midfield, and that if England had attempted to pass through that midfield, particularly when they came into possession of the ball in something where France had broken down a little bit, if they'd either used the ball through um, Bellingham more or Foden had dropped it in the midfield or Saka, and this is the message because in the second half he did, or even Kane had dropped back into midfield, there was a massive chance of England being able to play through the ranks, outnumber France in midfield, and look much better than they did in the first half because if there was a, a team in the first half that felt as if they were more informed, sharper, taking more risks, not just leading, it, it was France. The, the, the blots on that first half for me would be that I admit, Neil, I, I don't know what the listeners feel themselves and not everybody's honest with themselves in these situations. But when Saka looked as if he might have been fouled, for the way in which the first France goal comes when Upamecano robs the ball, bursts down the left, plays it to Mbappe. Mbappe plays it inside to Upamecano again. The centre-half, who's now in a really advanced left midfield position, turns, lays it into Mbappe's path. Mbappe sends it across to Dembele and Dembele then lays it into Griezmann. The, the bit that I didn't like initially was, was Rice. Because if you if you watch the way that the play develops, Rice in the midfield gets bypassed when Mbappe comes away from him off Upamecano's ball, takes a look to his left towards Pickford's goal and thinks, my job is back there. The trouble with that is, and, and you can always, when you concede, you can obviously always pick errors. But just in terms of practice, good practice, and, and remember, I... I adore Declan Rice. I, I think he's a magnificent player, but who's still in development, who's still relatively young. I haven't looked. I guess he's still 24. He said recently that he thinks to develop, he needs to start to play Champions League football. And maybe this element was a little example of that. Because when he looks left and, and runs in towards um, the defence, I'm not sure if it's Rabio or Giroud. He's, he's thinking he needs to pick up. But the left centre-back, Maguire, doesn't say, I've got that covered. And Maguire and Stones are, are, are off their men. They need to push two steps up, send Rice back, even look to his right, back into midfield. He doesn't do any of that. So when Dembele 
brings it inside uh, to Griezmann. Griezmann can lay it off to Chalmany, and only Bellingham sees it. And Rice has just forgotten that the, the way in which, for example, um, the Netherlands scored against um, USA. This idea about the last man arriving at or around the edge of the box can actually be, in, in, in these games of tight spaces and tight margins, the most dangerous man. It's not like Rice has, has done something abysmal, but at elite level, if he turns his shoulders and looks right back down the pitch instead of only thinking about the penalty box, then where there's a crowd of England players, then he sees Chouameni and rather than Bellingham being the only one racing to him, maybe Rice can be out there. But to go back to the point I was making, that before that happened, I didn't see, Neil, you call it, I didn't see in natural time that it was definitely a foul by Upamecano on Saka. Replays said... It was. It's quite clear. I don't think it's even a matter of opinion. It's a foul, but in open play, a referee can miss that. Where where it disappointed me that he missed it in open play and VAR allegedly couldn't help him was when Kane is fouled, it's outside the box, it seems. But there's a second foul again on Kane with, I think, up on McCann's left leg. I didn't see it in real time, but there was VAR on that one. The second foul, not the first one, but the second foul is clearly inside the box. I needed the help of of the way in which the television cameras show us everything these days in order to come to that conclusion. But the referee had help from VAR, and therefore that's a VAR mistake of, of in a quarterfinal, pretty monumental proportions, I think. Just that first French goal, I wanted to um, put the magnifying glass on another one of the participants, Antoine Griezmann, um, who you've spent time with, one-on-one interviews, several of them, and of course you've seen play uh, in La Liga for for years and years now. At times today, Griezmann's opposite number was Declan Rice. At times, his corresponding player in the England team would have been Bellingham or Henderson. At times, his corresponding player in the England team was Harry Kane. It was a remarkable role. Uh, the freedom in, in the role that he was given was, was absolutely remarkable. Do you see a difference in Antoine Griezmann in Bleu? One of the exercises you see in top-level training is is one where there's a... a in Spanish, it's called a comodín, which is just the useful guy. Uh, you can call him the joker player. but And I did a long... Um, chat about this, broadcast about this, when I watched uh, Chelsea against Villarreal in the Belfast Super Cup final at the beginning of last season. And they used um, the far corner of half a pitch, but they divided, so a third of one half of the pitch. So imagine how tight that is. And it was 10 v 10, and in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight places on the on the lines of that, that pitch, there were players who were obliged to play with anybody who had the ball. So that sometimes you get two guys in bibs in a game who are comedians who, who switch their allegiance and become a wall pass or become one of your f- players if you've got the ball. And therefore... 
you have to think doubly hard as soon as you lose the ball. The guy in the bib who was going to give you the ball or spread it wide for your team is suddenly your enemy. You have to think about marking and closing him. That exercise when you watch in a training match is utterly brilliant because in the space I was talking about in Belfast, Chelsea were playing, and Tuchel was at his best, fast football with about, you know, 16 in... 20 players in a place the size of six phone booths. And when you watch it, it's brilliant. And that's what that's what Griezmann does when France are on the attack and he's moving into spaces in a creative area. It isn't just that he's... Because he can't do what Messi does and beat three players and play 16 wonder passes a game. But he knows that France's players will know he's there and will look for him. And he's the guy off whom um, a wall pass will be played. He's the guy who will take it in space from you and sprint about 10 or 12 metres and then deliver a nice ball. He's a good footballer. He's pretty two-footed. And it goes back, the way he's playing for Le Bleu is most akin to the way he played for Real Sociedad. When I've talked about this, a lot. He was allowed to play anywhere, Neil. And often I would see him, and remember how much younger he was then. He'd drift back into a right-back position, help his teammate out, pick up the ball, run 20 paces and look up for, as if he was looking up for himself, you know, 60 yards across the pitch for a diagonal ball. And, ah, fuck, there's only one of me. Where's Antoine Griezmann? Oh, that's me. And it it it, it occasionally looked, not indisciplined, but, but like a, a dog with a tennis ball, a puppy with a tennis ball. And Real Sociedad weren't an exceptional side then. And the way I, what I say about what you've just pointed out is the fact that in midfield, Chalmeni and Rabiot, and particularly then if one of the fullbacks pushes forward and help into midfield to help those two, they need to do much more work, even though Griezmann will press, will rob, is industrious, is not lazy like Rabiot can sometimes be, Whenever he's in these creative spaces going, I think I intuit this is the place to be. I'm waiting for my team to give me the ball. If the rest of the move breaks down, everybody else needs to be working that extra degree harder to close the space that Griezmann can't be. Now, if Griezmann is in a mode like you talked about when um, France are needing to defend or they're being pressed, he's the one you know, doing doggy runs about trying to make either make a tackle or an interception or make it hard to suffocate the movement of the other team when they're trying to be creative. And clearly there's a melon, there's a mix of what he does instinctively and did to his great credit at La Real and, and what he's been taught at uh, Atletico in terms of don't let the other team breathe, make sure your runs, if you're making runs defensively, make sure you get there, that you're not exhausting yourself for nothing. And I think, humbly, I think while he didn't massively enjoy his time at Barcelona, he did play in a front three with Messi and Suarez. Messi and Griezmann never really saw eye to eye, particularly. Suarez and Griezmann did get on. But it's from Messi, I think, that Griezmann has learned a hell of a lot. And and on his return to Atletico, particularly once the contractual problem was sorted out and he was no longer only playing the last half an hour of a game... Once he was back in the team, Atleti were playing him almost exclusively 
in, in a role between midfield and attack, not asking him to be an out-and-out striker, a role which is the, the, the blueprint for the way he played tonight. And clearly, if you add into the fact that he's the... I don't know if he gets an assist for the pass to Chomeni, but he patently gets an assist for the ball in uh, that Giroud scores off his left foot, remember? One more thing before we leave him, um, and that is related to a point that you made in the previous podcast on this feed. You were talking about this World Cup in particular, given the unique stresses on the players that we're watching, being decided by substitutions, the timing of the substitutions, the choices of who to bring on and, and who to take off. Griezmann was on a yellow and he was in the red zone. I mean, he was he was in the red zone. There was a couple of challenges that he made, definitely one free kick that he conceded that the England players were priming the referee almost to kind of tee up, well, if you're not going to give him that second yellow now, it's got to be the next one. Deschamps did not think twice. He just let him run out the the, the game and was very conservative with the substitutions in, in general. Were you surprised that neither manager really threw all of the dice that they had at their disposal? I think it, given that Griezmann has has flicked that left-footed ball in to the front post in front of Maguire, known that Giroud will run onto it, and has basically been of, of primal importance for France being in the semi-final, then clearly Deschamps won his bet. Um, we, we, we've seen it um, before in this tournament where... Managers with a player on a yellow card just say, I need that guy so much. So the bookings two minutes before half time. Not only is Griezmann not taken off, it's late, late in the game, whatever, two minutes before, about 80 minutes, something like that, and 79 minutes that Griezmann creates the goal. I'd like to think that Deschamps and, if he's asked Guy Stefan about the philosophy, the, the, the workings, as we used to say in maths, when I used to get all my fractions wrong. The workings were right, I think, because they've calculated that Wilton Sampaio, and, and let's not talk about favouritism, but Sampaio didn't look like a, a referee with any eagerness to send players off. He let so many challenges go either by saying that's not foul or next level up by saying that foul's not a booking, that if Deschamps decided the point you've made about not removing uh, Griezmann because he went, this referee's tendencies flicks the, the, the probabilities towards my necessities, my necessities I judge her to keep Griezmann on, um, and as such... If Deschamps has calculated the referee's behaviour and said, you know, this, this is the way the breeze is blowing, I, I'm not going to change, then I'd say kudos to him. OK, listen, let's take a quick break after we come back, focus on England and then a little bit of Morocco. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And we're back. Okay, I did enjoy breaking down that French performance or at least certain elements of it, Graham, but let's focus on England. There was lots uh, to be encouraged by. There was lots to suggest that this team are going absolutely nowhere. The age profile, especially of some of the key players, is remarkable. Where do you think the the most promise remains for, for England in a game really that, that, that came down to, to moments? I still think a lot rests on... On Southgate, I saw an improvement to some extent in the second half in that he recognised that if Saka made it feel as if he was playing up against Hernandez as England began to move the ball forward, but then drifted in between the lines and came right indoors, one that Hernandez wouldn't come with him for fear of um, England overlapping it right back, and two, that there were spaces there that they'd ignored in the first half. And I thought Saka's second half, first of all, I wasn't convinced, although he'd been kicked all over the place, I wasn't convinced that he needed to come off. And I swear to you, he was very, very close to my man in the match. Attitude, ability to run at players, ability to take hits and sometimes come away with them, from them, excuse me, given his size and, and, and youth and inexperience, sometimes simply to draw France into fouls that, you know, were... <sighs> It frustrated me that uh, Sampao ignore them. There was one Rabio and Hernandez, 64th minute. It's clear foul. Hernandez is in there bullying him, but Rabio makes the foul maybe twice and, and, and Saka didn't get it. And, and therefore, to answer your question, I, I remain a little bit unconvinced about Southgate's tactical acuity. I remain unconvinced about nothing else about him. Ideas, atmosphere, spirit that he creates, largely the players that he picks for his squads, the way in which he's got the press, the media, not the press, the media on side, the fact that he's a calm, sage leader between tournaments, in the days, between matches, during tournaments. The trouble is, either you need a couple more players who are absolutely exceptional and on the pitch take the game away from teams, which I don't think England have, or you need 
a couple fewer, namely Maguire, who, who are not a little bit substandard when it comes to the world elite or European elite level. And in my opinion, that's what's happening. It's absolutely patent that in Saka Foden, maybe Mount, Grealish in my opinion, definitely, Rashford, Rice, Bellingham, there, there are players that give every appearance that they will go on and win an international tournament, and and there are there are more to come. I think that um, there are players who have won at a European under twenty one level and at World Cup level, at youth level, who 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 have shown then and as seniors that they're made of the right stuff. I I, I remain unconvinced that that's true necessarily of Southgate. I don't think in any way it's his fault they're out. I do think that in the second half, like again, when I say you and I were talking, maybe it was a, me opening my big mouth again, but what I really liked was there were spells in which when Saka was being asked to play inside and, and Kane dropped in to the midfield, there were times when England looked... Dominant. They looked confident. They looked as if they felt that they not only could beat France, but they knew specifically, tactically, how to do it. And at that stage, when Kane dropped in, there was often either Foden or Bellingham going in as, as the nine. At that stage, maybe, and, I, and I'm saying it more tentatively than I did about the criticism on the bell after Italy beat England, when it was crystal clear from about 20 minutes in what was happening, how England weren't reacting, and he screwed up the substitutes by bringing on um, Saka and Rashford too late. They were, they were left cold. They were on the touchline for about six or eight minutes, and in the end, they missed the penalties. In this instance, y you would say that with the way that the match was increasingly open, with the way in which you see your rival not refreshing other bodies, with the way in which, for example, as you pointed out, Griezmann's on a booking and Hernandez is on a booking, there is an argument that at the point when Kane drops into the 10 position and they're outnumbering France in midfield, there's an argument that instead of playing a false nine, if you're going to make substitutions, Rashford in there. Rashford for his height, Rashford for his current form and Rashford for his pace. If he's the nine and Kane drops into the midfield and there's any chance of running beyond, because Kane isn't going to run beyond, sprint beyond Upamecano and, and Varane and, and Koundé. Rashford maybe, but this is, uh, this is Monday morning quarterback stuff, I think. That the, the, that, that's hair splitting because it's not a patently obvious screw up tonight in terms of substitutions than it was in terms of tactics and and uh, and speed of decision making during the European Championship final maybe that marks an improvement Neil but the defeat is still the same and to go out against a team that you you pretty distinctly outplayed in the um, second half must be if you're an England fan dramatically sore um and, and listen, I, I don't know if it's in your head, but I can't go past the fact that it is as clear a penalty in a tournament of tippy-tappy Peter Pan and Wendy penalties. 
The penalty committed by Hernandez is crystal clear. Anywhere else in the pitch, whichever colour of shirt is doing that to the other, it's a foul. If it's a foul in the penalty box, it's a penalty. He doesn't see it. That's ridiculous at this level for me. Mateo Laws had a, had a game yesterday where, it, it, because he has a tendency, not a reputation, to, 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 to want to be um, the protagonist, the Prince Charming, who everybody is shouting at and come on. We, he, he loves that. And because he's got that tendency and he brought the reputation into the final, into the quarterfinal, some of the decisions he made, which looked arguable, flared up and became controversial. It was a game of niggly nastiness and he showed a lot of cards and he's been absolutely thrashed today, hammered on all sides. His performance was light years better than this Brazilian's so that I'm not accused of bias or hysteria. We have to admit that when... Um, France are playing forward and Mbappe puts the ball to Giroud and he's offside. The referee waves away his linesman to play advantage because England are on the move and it's in that move that they win the penalty that they do convert, beautifully converted. So the referee did do at least one thing right um, in that he, he if he'd stopped the play for a needless free kick for offside when the play could run, then England probably don't get that penalty, which they <laughs> overwhelmingly deserve to get. Let's close by looking at a very unusual World Cup semi-final lineup. Croatia versus Argentina, France versus, checks notes, Morocco. Yeah, to, to, to understand that Morocco are the first African nation in the semi-finals of a World Cup in history. The first Arabic nation in the semi-final of a World Cup in history is, is pretty thrilling. To understand that they've got their undefeated in a group whereby they had to play Belgium and Croatia, to know that they've beaten Belgium, that they've eliminated Spain, that they've eliminated Portugal, that they drew with Croatia, who potentially they could meet again in the final, is is thrilling. They are very far from the most exciting team at this World Cup. That's not a criticism, I just think it's an outright fact. The excitement travels along the lines of seeing the way that the fans inhabit Doha, inhabit the stadium. The excitement travels along the lines of seeing Ashraf Again, stand out, as, as he did in Italy, as he has for Paris Saint-Germain. In my books, as he did for Real Madrid. Um, it has felt for a long time as if trading him was an error. Amrabat today didn't have a game of the colossal size that he had against Spain. But Amrabat's performance against Spain matched with his energy, his ingenuity and the way in which he was able to protect an increasingly makeshift central defence partnership because El Yamik, as good as he looked today against Portugal, is by no means a top-class centre-half. And at club level, I work in Spain and, and commentate on the Liga a lot. And El Yamik is far from a dud. 
But to, to count on him to do that, particularly after losing Romain Seiss before an hour is gone, um, and, and given that uh, he was already missing Aguirre and the fact that, you know, they go down to 10 men. So for them to produce such a massive performance from Ashraf Dari, from Yamik, but then the magic. Zayesh showed at Ajax that he's a magical player. At Chelsea, he's looked a limp biscuit. Yet the fans roar for him, clamour that he's given the ball all the time. Sofian Bufal has never been in any way a poor player, but he's currently plying his trade at Angers. He was only a vague, moderate success at Celta Vigo, albeit that the fans loved what we're seeing this tournament, which is, he's not the jewel, he's the jewel in the flat cap. He's not the jewel in the crown, because Morocco are not a bonny team. It's just as simple as that. Massively hardworking, massively organised and intelligent, and those are not backhanded compliments. It's just that we, we all yearn for the type of magic that we intermittently saw from um, Mbappe, Griezmann, Giroud, uh, Messi, uh, Veghorst, name who you like. Suddenly, Buffal becomes the shining diamond in the flat cap of this team because he he tricks players, he dribbles in past two or three, he's confident in the ball, he's always showing for it. It's been so much fun to see him. Each of the last two eliminatorias, what are eliminatorias, knockout games, to watch him and Ziyech has been a privilege. I've got a, I've got a massive predilection from uh, for their young player, Abde, who came on against Spain, didn't come on against Portugal. He's a, he's a Barca player on loan to Osasuna. He's a corker. He's straight out of the same mould as Zayesh and, and Bufal, whereas the rest of them are, are, are physically, um, athletically gifted and they've put in such extraordinary shifts. I don't think it's a cliche. I fear for them because I'm, I'm not completely clear that it's going to be feasible for Sais to be back in time. That's a, that's a central, central part of how they can cope in central defence. I think the effort that they put in physically, the, the Chidira, good player or not, I don't know, but now suspended to the semi-final because he was sent off against Portugal. And in my opinion, France will be licking the lips a little bit, I think, because Morocco... It, it's not as if suddenly their bubble's going to burst because I'd argue that they won't attempt to play in any way differently against um, France in the semi-final of the World Cup. It's whether they can do exactly the same without Naif Aguard and without Saiz um, and, and produce the same level of physicality. The goal that they score, the ball in, is speculative. And Naziri's jump is prodigious. Absolutely prodigious. It's 
And, and he, he, get, he, he nods it. He, once he's up there, he knows what he's doing. It's not just get any touch on it, son. It's a lovely, lovely goal. And they, they could have lost. Let's, let's be completely honest about it. There is maybe the save of the tournament from Bono. It's an absolutely beautiful save um, as the ball's rattling on him and he gets to it just over his head and tips it over. There's one from Bruno Fernandes that's rattled off the bar from a kind of Van Basten angle. And uh, overall, Portugal missed a blade of luck, um, a blade of brilliance, perhaps. It didn't play for them uh, that Ramos was going to be the superhero again. It's arguable, I think, that the coach, Fernando Santos, who'll take a lot of grief, might have brought Rafael Leal a little sooner, I think. But overall, I, I wouldn't be one to say, I wish Portugal, with all their stars, were in the semi-final because it'll give us a better game against France. I think Morocco, albeit that they've taken a, a slightly more unusual path, a slightly less attractive path, merit, clearly merit being in the semi-final. And the way in which this will open up um, respect for football in North Africa, um, you know, given that Egypt were, were beaten, African nations uh, finalists were, were beaten in a playoff to, to come to the World Cup by by Senegal, for footballers who come from that region, um, this must, I, I fail to find the words to understand, well, maybe if it was like Scotland had suddenly reached the quarterfinals of the World Cup and we were looking at a potential semi-final place, we'd begin to understand how it must feel to Morocco. And it, I'm not lumping, there, there's, there's vast, vast internecine rivalry between Egypt and Morocco and Algeria and Tunisia, but they share culture they share styles of football. They share a degree to which lots of more successful confederations, lots of more successful nations have kind of looked down on them. And therefore, I do think that this strikes a blow for the top of Africa, the northern part of Africa, and certainly for Morocco. It's an odd situation. It's an odd situation in that there's only ever been one repeat Cup final in consecutive uh, editions. When in 86, Argentina um, beat West Germany. And in 90, I can't remember if West Germany had become Germany then. And therefore, it was two different nations. But it was it was the repeat final in Italy. It was a disgusting final, which I watched on the banks of the... What's the blooming... The Danube in, um, in Budapest. Um, or in a little industrial town called New Danau, New Danube, as we sponsored Scotland to the European Karate Championships. And it was a disgustingly bad game, that 1990 final, uh, although 86 wasn't. It might be Croatia-France for the second time in four years, only the second ever repeat final. Maybe you think that's nonsense and it just simply can't be. But I think the facts say that it might be. Um, wouldn't that be fun?
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.